0: Amen, amen. Hey, grab, a, grab, your, grab your seat and grab a Bible to uh, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And uh, as you turn there, I'll just make a statement. We live in an upgrade culture. We live in an upgrade culture. What's an upgrade culture? An upgrade culture is a culture, right, where uh, we wait in line for a new phone before our last phone is even broken or we go get a new computer while the computer we currently have still works. Now, I can't speak from experience, but I have heard that there was actually a day where you didn't get something new until the last thing was broken. Is that true? Can some of you speak to that, right? There was actually a day you didn't go get a new phone until yours won't turn on anymore. You didn't go buy a new computer until yours was just doing the endless you know, wheel of death and you couldn't use it. But we now live in a day where we'll trade in something that's still perfectly good for something newer, something shinier, something that's not as banged up or beaten up around the edges. This is an upgrade culture. Now, there's nothing inherently sinful about standing in line at a Verizon to get the iPhone whatever we're on now and trade in your old one. But, but I, I would argue that when we begin to live with an upgrade mindset, this, uh, this discontentment in our heart, it can just be fed. Like an upgrade mindset breeds discontentment. We're always looking to new or bigger or better or shinier or upgrade for kind of that next dopamine hit of getting something new. And now I I bring this up because we're on this journey in the four weeks we've spent in Ecclesiastes to heed the warning of this book. What's the warning of the book? The warning of the book, as we've worded it here, is seeking ultimate meaning in anything other than God is ultimately, what's the word? Meaningless. And so all of us in this room, I'm willing to bet all of us in this room, we've walked down the path of pleasure or we've walked down the path of accumulating more stuff or money or we've walked down the path of, of trying to be something to get some certain status and work or at school and all of us have come to the end of those paths. We've come to the end of the pleasure path or the end of the stuff and money path or the end of the status path and we've all stood there and we've all gone, huh, it just didn't quite Do in my heart what I expected it to do. And these like dead end moments of life are actually great gifts from God. They remind us that there's nothing we can reach after here that's ultimately going to satisfy. That people created by God have a heart that ultimately hungers and thirsts for God. And they're great gifts from God when we experience these things. And so in week one, we just sought to heed the warning of the book, to not look for ultimate meaning in non-ultimate things. And then week two, we, we said we we're going to look at these carpe diem passages, these seize the day passages, not in some worldly or cultural sense, but, but these times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, in a book that just is so often like, yeah, that's meaningless, and that's meaningless, and that's meaningless. Where has Solomon throughout this teaching here gone? But man, let me tell you what I've found to be so, so good in these brief years under the sun. And we look at just one of those he'll talk about is just the blessings of a day. That regular rhythm of a day. That sunrise, the sunset, and then the coolness of the night. That there's just some beautiful blessings that God gives us every day. To get up early on a Sunday morning, to walk out the side door, and just to stand in the driveway for a second and hear nothing. It's awesome. Except my cat but just sunrises, sunsets, pushing kids on a park swing. That, that, that We said that week, if we would just kind of pull the throttle back, just throttle it back a bit, we might be able just to take in some of the beautiful things that God sprinkles into every day. And uh, last week, we talked about the, enjoying the blessings of relationships, that God has made us for community that we get this awesome privilege of doing life together with other people. And yes, some, some people are really different than us, and some people are easier to get along with than others, and sometimes we can get on each other's nerves, and sometimes we disagree about things, but there's this beautiful thing that happens as we live life in community, as we enjoy the family that God has given us, as we linger over the dinner table and just enjoy being together. And we said it goes fast, it goes fast, it goes fast, it goes fast. Does it go fast? Just to sink in, enjoying each other. And then today we're talking about this, just enjoying whatever God has allotted you to get off the treadmill of trying to get more running after more to get off the treadmill of believing, man, I'll finally be content when we get over there, and I got to accomplish this, and I got to climb the ladder here, but we're getting after the heart of contentment. We're trying to be freed from living with an upgrade mindset and an upgrade culture. And so that's what we're going after today. I found a quote this week by uh, Jonathan and Daniel Aiken, who've written some just great resources on the book of Ecclesiastes. And they said this, the key is not how much or how little you have, but rather how you view what you do have. The key is not how much or how little, but a rather how you view what you do have. It's possible for us to have a lot in relation to other people, in comparison to other people, and to still be deeply, deeply miserable and discontent. And it's possible for us to have a very little and still be always kind of yearning after some things out there and be deeply, deeply discontent. It's a beautiful thing when we can come to a place where we look around and say, I have the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Come on. And look at what he has done for us. And to even get a little misty-eyed over it, and go, "Thank you, Lord." I look at sometimes I look into our living room, and just just real brief moments, this will happen, where like the five-year-old and the three-year-old and the two one-year-old twins twins uh, twins are all sitting on the kitchen uh, the kitchen the couch. Let me say that again. They're all sitting on the couch, and I get this snapshot, and I go, "Thank you, Lord." and then it just goes crazy from there, right? And you're like, oh Lord, please come quickly, right? (laughs) But just, it is good, y'all. It's good to be in a place where we don't feel like we gotta be striving after getting the more stuff and striving on to get in the next thing, but just to look around and say, I have Jesus, and look at what he's done for me. That's what we're going after today. And so, I'm gonna get us in here to Ecclesiastes 5. I'm gonna start in verse 10, but let me give you the first point as we jump in here today. Be content with what you have, and where God has you because, firstly, more, different, new, bigger, better, and upgrades won't ultimately fulfill you. More, different, new, bigger, better, and upgrades. They won't ultimately do what we often think they will do. Let me, let me just read this here, these couple verses. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is, here's the word, this also is vanity. Remember, this is the word we see all through the book of Ecclesiastes. In our English translations, we often translate it vanity or meaningless. Um, It's this Hebrew word, hevel, uh, vapor, smoke, fleeting. The picture here is watch watch smoke come off a fire and watch it disappear into the air. Uh, Watch your breath on a cold day and try to grab it. It's this enigma. You see it, but you can't grab onto it. You can't hold it. You can't bottle it up and keep it. This is what Solomon's been saying. So much of life and the things we pursue and we think like, that's it. That life is all about that. He says it's like trying to bottle up smoke or vape. It's fleeting. It's there and it's gone. And, and, And he's warning us here, if we love money, Uh, if, 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 If it's all about wealth, you won't be able to bottle that up and hold on to it. You can't catch it. He goes on, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. We'll talk about that. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And so I want to take these three verses under point one, and and I want to just kind of tease these out here so that we understand more and different, new, bigger, better upgrades won't ultimately fulfill us. Verse 10 warns us of this Hebel thing. It's smoke. It's vapor. The more and the different and the new and the bigger and the better and the upgrade that you think, it's like, yeah, now life's really going to, it'll just be gone in a second. Verse 11 warns us of this. If it's all about more and different and new and bigger and better and upgrades, these things can actually rob us of the beauty and the depth of authentic relationships. Where do I get that? Look at what he said in verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. What does that mean? The more you have, the more the leeches will come out of the woodwork in your life. What are the leeches? Those who just want what you have, but they don't want relationship with you at all. Solomon would know this. A man of his wealth and his power and his influence, he would totally know who really loved him for who he is and who really just wanted something that he could give them. ESPN did a 30 for 30 called Broke. Uh, It chronicles how some of these athletes who make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars end up absolutely and utterly broke. This is one of the themes that you'll see here. Of just people coming out. As the goods increase, so do the people who come and just devour them. Um, Verse 12 Sweet is, the sweet, sleep, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Craving for the riches, for the more, the different, the new, the bigger, the better, the upgrade can actually rob you of rest. We lay in bed and we go, but what if, and what if a recession come, and what if the deal goes south, and what if this happens, that it's possible that the more, the more we get, the more different, new, bigger, better, and upgrade the less rest we can actually experience in our heart. We lay there and watch the clock, and it's 11 and then 12 and then 1, and here we are, turmoil in our mind and turmoil in our gut. And Solomon says, sweet is the sleep of the laborer. How is it? that we can actually get some of the things we have worked so hard and so long to get, and they can actually be the same things that rob us of the rest in our life. Uh, in mid-90s, great theologian Cheryl Crow called this out. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, why the blank are you so sad? I have used more movie and more music illustrations in this series and since we launched the church. Here's why. Hollywood and music have Ecclesiastes illustrations all over them. Why? Because in order to make a movie, you have to relate to the human experience. In order to write a good song, you have to relate to the human experience. Hollywood knows. Nashville knows. Wherever else music comes out knows. All of us have experienced wanting the thing that we thought would finally make us happy and standing right there with it and being deeply sad, being discontent. And this is what we are being warned of. Be content with what you have and where God has you. Why? Because more and different and new, bigger, better and upgrades, they don't satisfy. Now, this doesn't mean... This doesn't mean that God hasn't called you on to some other things. This doesn't mean that God hasn't given you a loftier uh, goal to go pursue. It just means keep it in its rightful place. Don't believe that it will do something that it never can possibly do. The application coming out of point one, I think, is this. Um, When we find ourselves wanting more, different, New, bigger, better, upgrade. The application, it's really simple. It's just that we would stop and ask a powerful question, why? Why do I want that? Why do, Brock, why? I go, I need that. You go, okay, hold on. You you don't need it. You want it. Why do I want it? I'm wired a bit entrepreneurial, so I'm excited naturally by new, bigger, better, all of that. And God has given me a godly and wise wife who will just sit there and let me just dream. And what if we did this? And then, and then we go here. And then we do this. And then and she'll just smile, and she'll nod. And then I'll get done. And she'll just say, OK, now tell me why. I'm like, Because I want to. Why is a powerful question to ask. And listen, here's the thing. You gotta have some other people in your life asking you why. Because I can fool myself. When I think I need something, and I'm going to go get something, and I ask myself why, I can talk myself into it real easily. You need good small group guys and ladies, and you need a a spouse, and you need close Christian friends to go, can can I just press, why why are you going to do that? Why are you going to go buy that? What's like, what's the, what's the kind of what's the, walk me through the strategic plan of all that? And then, you know, it happens to me a lot. I'm like, well, because, you know, and then we, and, just, and then I get like, and I'm like, I don't know why. That's why it's so important to have people like that in our life. Just ask why. What, what am I believing that that will ultimately do? Uh, Move on to the second point, kind of the the positive side of this. Be content with what you have and where God has you because, here's the positive. You'll be so thankful, enjoying what God has given you. You won't be constantly focused on what he hasn't. Where do I get this? Verse, uh, jump down with me to verse 18. Behold what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. There's that carpe diem, So, like, man, here's what I found to be good. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Let me read these same verses in the NLT to try to make some connections here to what this is saying. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Yeah, come on. To be so busy enjoying the life God has put us in right here with the things he's given us right now, that we're not just brooding over the things of the past. The woulda, coulda, shoulda. Man, if that deal just woulda. Man, if, that could, if we woulda just walked down that path. But to look around and go, I got Jesus, and look at all that he's given us. Praise the Lord. We can instead be constantly striving after more. Be const- Contentment's not just about a, a stuff thing. Contentment can also be about, a, I want to get there. I want to accomplish this. And I am deeply discontent in my heart until I do. It's the lesson of the great hit movie, Cars. <laughs> Lightning McQueen. Saw it for the first time at like 22. We're at Erica's cousin's house and all their little kids were on the floor and I'm on the couch behind them just glued. It was unpacking so much of my own heart at the time. Lightning McQueen, right? Win the championship. That's all that matters. I'll run over anyone I need to in order to get it. Forget people along the way. Who cares? No one else matters. It's me and that championship. And he gets stuck in Radiator Springs. And he hates it at first, and all of a sudden, as the movie goes on, you can see he's learning what life truly is about. Friendships are being formed. He's realizing people matter. People aren't just pawns on my path to accomplish things. And by the end, he's deeply connected in relationship and content to stay right there in Radiator Springs. I'm sitting on the couch like... It's me. Just so busy on my way trying to accomplish that you're just not content to enjoy where God has you and the people God has in your life right now. It's sweet when God's people come to a place where we go. The key is not how much or how little, but rather how I'm viewing what I do have. And here's the view for the Christian. The Christian has Jesus. We have Jesus. As Christians, we literally have the opportunity to live out what it means to be content in any circumstance. Because life can be deeply painful, and yet we still have Jesus. And the income can, can tank, and we still have Jesus. And the company can tailspin, and we still have Jesus. and our health can go down, and yet we still have Jesus. And there is nothing, there is no season, there is no circumstance, there is nothing that we will come across in which Jesus can be taken from us. And then one day, We will pass from this life to the next, and we will see him face to face, and we will be with him, unhindered by any of the sinful nature, and we will worship him for an eternity. This is the heart of where contentment begins in the Christian heart. When we're there, we can look and say, I have Jesus. And I'm just thankful to him for the house we're in and the car we're driving. I'm thankful to him for the job we're working. I'm thankful for him for the season we're in. Because in the highs and the lows, here's what doesn't change I am united to Christ. That's the heart of contentment. My prayer for you is if you're in this room and you're like, I don't even know what it means to be united to Christ. I I wanna talk to you in a minute as I get us ready to take communion. Um, Communion is a time for those in the room who are Christians, who have believed on Jesus Christ for the salvation of their sin. Uh, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, and then he died, he died a horrific death. His death was the atonement for our sin. It paid the penalty for my sin. And it paid the penalty for your sin. God said that the penalty for our sin is death. He was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And then he rose from the dead. And through his life, burial, and resurrection, hope is offered to every human soul. Life is offered to every human soul. And the Bible says that how we receive that free gift of eternal life is through faith. Through God working in your heart, sitting in your chair right there to say, I believe, (laughs) I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was to satisfy the penalty I deserve for my sin. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. So you you can have that conversation with God right in your seat right now. And then as Christians, what we do is we remember on a regular basis that sacrifice for our sin. Communion is is the sobering reminder of what my sin cost Christ. And that's why God gives us some warnings of how we enter into this time. We're not to take of this in an unworthy manner. This is supposed to be a deeply worshipful time, a deeply uh, heart-searching time. One of the great temptations, especially those of us who've been around church world for so long, is there's so much of the acts of worship that can just become routine and ritual. But it's, it, 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 it floors you. It's amazing when you think about it, Jesus, he's sitting at a table with his disciples, and he takes some bread. And this is, I mean, right before he's going to go to a cross, and he's like, this is my body, broken. And then he says, "Like, do this in remembrance of me. And like, for generation after generation after generation, the church is to gather, and we're to break bread and drink the fruit of the vine, and we're to remember that his body was broken. And his blood was running down a cross for my sin. And so before we take of bread and drink of the fruit of the vine, we, we stop. And we say, Lord, search my heart. God in these moments will often put his gentle finger on conv- of conviction on some things and say, Brock, can we talk about this? Can I show you this? I'm like, I know, Lord, I see it. He's like, let's, let's change this. And there you are like in your seat, ready to take the elements. You're confessing your sin before the Lord. And the same way in these moments, like there's deep smiles that can come across our faces. We realize how great of a rescuer he was.